0: No. Of the Tone. Definitely not. The Batman soundtrack. Oh, is- uh, No, Same coming. I like it. Ah, Chardon. Hello and welcome. You are listening to Goat or Go, a comprehensive and somewhat opinionated look at the Rolling Stone 500 Greatest Albums of the All Time list. Anyway, I'm your host, Wendy K. Welcome back to the show, and thanks for listening and tuning in every single week. I really do appreciate it. And if you're new to this podcast, hi, and welcome to this musical listening experience. Today I'm going to be talking about three different, very, very different albums. Not that every week isn't, like, talking about three different albums, but this week in particular kind of feels like we have some very different kind of albums to go off of. This week, we're going to be talking about The Ronettes' Presenting the Fabulous Ronettes from 1964, MGMT's Ocular Spectacular from 2007, and finally, Cindy Lauper's She's So Unusual from 1983. So let's first start off with The Ronettes Presenting the Fabulous Ronettes. Now this is a recent addition to the Rolling Stone 500 greatest albums of all time, this was selected for the first time in the 2020 list. Here's what Rolling Stone had to say about this album in particular. More a Spanish Harlem street gang than a girl group, the Ronettes were pop goddesses dressed as Catholic schoolgirls gone to hell and back. Phil Spector builds his wall of sound as his teen protégé, in and future wife, in Ronnie Spector belts Be My Baby and Walking in the Rain while songs like I Wonder and Baby I Love You ache with hope for a perfect love that always seems to be impossibly ideal just within arm's reach. So, if you haven't heard of the Ronettes before, the most famous song that they have and the one that I think is truly inescapable but essential to their sound is Be My Baby. And if you don't know who Phil Spector is, I would pause this podcast and I would go look him up really quickly. I'm not going to dive too deeply into who Phil Spector was as a person and who he still is as a person, because he's still alive. I would rather just focus on um, the sound of the Ronettes and the sound that Phil Spector created with his infamous wall of sound and what he leaves as a music producer behind In The World. There's actually a really great documentary series about music producers and the evolution of music production that I saw on PBS some years back. The series was called Soundbreaking, Stories from the Cutting Edge of Recorded Music. And if you want to dive so deep into music production and into the history of music itself, this is such a great series that I highly, highly, highly recommend. Not only they do they talk about uh, Phil Spector's work, but they also talk about musicians such as Brian Eno and his work with bands like U2 and David Bowie. And especially, there's a lot of really great interviews from the late George Martin who produced The Beatles and who some people consider the fifth Beatle. So this series is so fun and it's so refreshing and so and it helps somebody like myself who's ever been part of the music industry to sort of like dive into it and get more accustomed and more familiar with what it means to like cut a record so if you don't know Anything about the Ronettes other than Be My Baby, this is a good compilation album to sort of dive yourself into. So immediately off the bat when you first dive into this album is the song Walking in the Rain. When people talk and describe about Phil Spector as a music producer and his wall of sound, like the infamous wall of sound, you may have no idea like what exactly that means. But once you hear it, especially in the song Walking in the Rain, you immediately understand what that term means even if you have no idea how the hell he fucking created that sound it is so big that's how that's how I can describe it, it is like the music and the the sonic atmosphere that Phil Spector has been able to create on a lot of different records from the 60s and 70s It's crazy! It's crazy to think that that sound existed. Especially with Walking the Rain, it is a powerful, head-pounding, thunderous sound. Like You really feel like you are walking through the rain during a thunderstorm. Which kind of makes me wonder how in the hell the Ronettes even toured. I can't imagine what their audio sound must have been like because... I'm sure trying to recreate the wall of sound, especially with speakers during that time period, must have been next to impossible. So I wonder if the Ronettes in particular were just a group that were just studio artists and focused all of their time and energy on producing a record and getting it out into the public rather than like also going on tour and taking their stuff on tour. So it's so interesting because with that question came the song... What Did I Say?, which has elements of it that make it sound like it's actually a recording from a live concert, and I'm not sure if the mixing is quite correct, because like, I think the sound in particular and the instrumentation kind of overpower the Ronettes as they're singing. It gives me kind of a glimpse of what a concert might have sounded like if if the Ronettes actually performed. This album is also interesting because we have what I'm going to call the Baby Trilogy in the smack dab in the middle of it, starting with Be My Baby, You Baby, and Baby I Love You. I feel like that arrangement is kind of hindering on the last two songs, especially You Baby, because I feel like it would be better if you rearranged that album so that Be My Baby was the last of the three Baby-titled songs. That's the strong side of the three. Like, that is the most iconic song by the Ronettes, You will ever hear in your life. And besides the ending song, which I will get to, if you wanted to have people listen a song singing about uh, some girl's baby, like it'd be better to have maybe like I love you baby and you baby and then be my baby. That would be my definitive look back on things. One of my favorite songs to come out of this listen was The Best Part of Breaking Up is such a cheeky song. Like it is so tongue-in-cheek. And the line, the best part of breaking up is when you're making up, but after breaking up, make sure that you're making up with me. Like, holy Jesus, like, just trying to dissect that line is so fucking funny. It tells you so much about the relationship and the expectations of the relationship, especially going back to it and maybe hate fucking. Um... (laughs) it's just wild it's a wild, it's a wild fucking line and i kind of i kind of have a hard time with this line being a line from 1964 like i I have very different expectations about what sexuality and what relationships kind of meant back in the day but at the same time you know i was watching boardwalk empire with my family and there's a song called my girl's pussy if you haven't heard it before I would pause this podcast and take a look at it, because it was the WAP of the 1930s. People talked about sex and other shit back in the day, and, like, didn't necessarily have to, like, hide around it, or were very tongue-in-cheek about it, like the Ronettes are in this song. And I, I think it's really fucking funny. It just, I don't know, we make fun of, like, Artists today are just being like, oh, that was so, that's such a scandalous line. And it's like, nah, like, you need to expand your musical horizons because obviously you haven't heard a lot of dirty songs or you haven't heard a lot of songs talking about sex. So you gotta expand your horizons, honey, and be open to whatever people are singing about, you know? You may find out you might like that thing. Who knows? Having talked about sex, this album ends with. Chapel of Love, which is kind of a fun way of ending this album. It's it's also kind of repetitive because the line of Going to the chapel and we're gonna get married That line is going to be stuck in your head forever. No matter how many times you probably could hear this song over and over to get rid of that, that earworm is just going to hit you real hard. It's also a great way of, like, ending an album showcasing Phil Spector's work. It's big, it's bombastic, it's lovely, the wall of sound is great, and, like, it's such an interesting way of ending this album. The next album we're going to talk about is MGMT's Ocular Spectacular from 2007. And this album is only on the 2012 list from Rolling Stone. Here's what Rolling Stone had to say about this album. Two hipster geeks get some rad vintage keyboards and compose a suite of synthesized heartache. You don't have to figure out a word of kids to feel the poignant kick of that massive keyboard hook. So I feel a little weird kind of covering this album because I have heard a lot of this album, especially when it was on the radio. So, I would have heard this album in 2007, but I'm sure it had lasting power on the radio and through school dances through 2008-2009. And that's when, like, that's also when I started listening to alternative radio stations, because we had them, in the San Francisco Bay Area. So, these guys would show up, and I don't think I necessarily liked them when I was younger. I didn't quite understand what, what what they were kind of going for. But now, looking back on it, I would say that a lot of the singles that I would have heard on the radio or through playlists and other things later are the best parts of that album. And the other ones, like, they're fine songs. I I don't know how they quite well match up with other things. So the songs Faded to Pretend, Electric Feel, and Kids, you have heard this song before. If you have not heard... Time to pretend, or Electric Feel. Like, I mean, God bless you. But also, how? What radio stations are you listening to? How have you missed these songs? When I say there was no way of escaping these songs on alternative stations, there literally was no way of of escaping these songs. Like, you will remember like that killer instrumentation that goes the do 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 do. That's on Time to Pretend. It's a sick instrument. I don't know what the fuck they were doing, or if it's a keyboard. If it's a keyboard, that's a co- that's a great sound. And electric feel, like, having heard this song so many times, like, it's really fun hearing them. Ooh, girl, shock me like the electric eel. Like, the eel is a fun thing to kind of sing out loud if you want to imitate the singer. And the guitar in the song is just straight up fire. It's interesting, because a lot of the elements about their album and about their music, I feel like I've heard these songs before, but I also feel like they've been influenced by some band. I don't know the name yet, especially with the track Weekend Wars. It seems very, very familiar, especially the beginning section. Even though this album came out in 2007, I'm thinking about something from like even earlier in the in the decade. But I just don't know what exactly this sound reminds me of. So if anybody has that same feeling, I would love to know who you think MGMT is inspired by and what song this the beginning section of Weekend Wars reminds you of. Because it feels very early 2000s, even though this is a 2000s. <laughs> also, can we talk about for a minute? It feels very odd saying 2003 versus like, 2012 like saying 2012 is somehow more natural to me or 2020 versus saying 2003 maybe it's just because like 2003 was 17 years ago and i don't want to think about my own existence and aging so we're moving on (laughs) there's a couple of lines that really stand out to me from the albums um especially the song youth like the main hook of that song is the youth are starting to change together which is just I'm not sure if it's hopeful or if it's, like, if it's a very pessimistic view on what the youth are doing. Considering I was a youth back in 2007, I'm sure we were all kind of changing up the same pace on very different things. The song Pieces of What? I have never heard this song before, and I actually had to take a second listen of this song, because the first verse of this song hits so much more differently now that we're in a pandemic so i'm just going to read this out loud when the world has turned paralyzed and wrong cold-blooded claws never offered anything at all past the point of love shattered and untied waiting to pick up the pieces that might make it all right but pieces of what pieces of what pieces of what doesn't matter anymore yeah this song has a very different connotation than what the artists were originally thinking of i wondered what the pieces of what before COVID happened and what the artists were thinking about when they were thinking about this song. Yeah, this song, I appreciate it now for what it is and I'm, I'm appreciative that it exists and I have it as something to sort of be like, this is what this felt like. It's the pieces of whatever we we left in this world. I just went out to Genius to look up the lyrics of Pieces of What and I scrolled all the way down. And there's this person named Dan O'Nina who wrote, These lyrics suddenly make more sense in the middle of a pandemic. And that was written three months ago. So Dan O'Nina, whoever you are out there, I see you, I hear you. And I'm glad we both agree that this song makes a whole lot of difference nowadays. Uh (laughs) It's so fucking funny. I also kind of wish the pieces of what had one more line or one more verse, something to make it just a little bit longer, because, like, what is with people ending their songs with an outro that is, like, four lines short? It's not enough. <laughs> it's not a verse. It's not a hook. It's not the chorus. What? What is it about an intro ending so soon that I don't understand? But otherwise, it's a it's a fucking great song. And I think the album also suffers from the same problem that I had with previous albums that I've talked about where one of the songs before the ending is actually what I think the ending of the album should have been so for like the Stone Roses, the song this is the one should have been the album ending and for Ocular Spectacular, the ending song for the album should have been the Handshake instead of Future Reflections I'm going to talk about the last album before I come up with which album I think is the greatest of all time. Very different because I have a lot of conflicting feelings and I also don't know the answer to this question quite yet. So finally, I'm going to talk about Cindy Lauper's She's So Unusual from 1983. So this album also exists on the 2020 list at number 184 and at number 4, 87 in 2012. There is actually a lot of songs that I know of from this album through a variety of different means. Some of them like Time After Time and All Through the Night, probably through like a classic rock slash 80s music radio station. The first time and the first memory that I have about listening to Girls Just Want to Have Fun is because of Dance Dance Revolution. So If people still play Dance Dance Revolution, or still- or remember Dance Dance Revolution, I forget which version of Dance Dance Revolution DDR this had, but I used to go to this daycare growing up, and they would have a bunch of different video games for people to play, and one of them was DDR. And the thing about it was people would cycle through pretty much, I think, like the same 10-ish kind of songs. I forget how many songs are on DDR, (laughs) and what song DDR had in store. But what made this DDR interesting was they also included the music video for Girls Just Wanna Have Fun While You Played. So, watching this MTV music video while playing Dance Dance Revolution, I don't know, I don't know whose decision that was. It kind of reminds me of like when you go to a karaoke bar, and you're singing something, and then the music video is also there behind the lyrics, but you're like, I've never actually watched this music video, what is this about? And so you start trying to follow the plot of that music video, and you're just like, what the fuck? I never realized there was a plot to this. I also know girls just want to have fun, because in Northern California, there is this place called Great America. It was originally Paramount's Great America when I was growing up, And then they were bought by a company that owns Cedar Point. But before uh, they were bought by Cedar Point, in the queue area for all the different rides would be TV screens. And in the park, you're just constantly walking with an 80s and 90s, like, family-friendly background. And it was all these songs that would have been, like, Safe for the Family, But the thing about the queue areas for all of the rides was, they would also include the music videos for the music that you were also listening to, so, like, everything was very synchronized in a very weird way. I have seen a lot of music videos from MTV, having not watched MTV while growing up. Going to Great America, Girls Just Wanna Have Fun was just part of that soundtrack. So I just remember summer days and nights listening to Girls Just Want to Have Fun. And then the song that I want to talk about, and one that I know a lot about, is a song called Shebop. And Shebop, it's a great song about masturbation. When I was in high school, I got the rights and I produced a production of the Vagina Monologues. And after I had put the team together and and reach out to an organization to donate all of the ticket sales from the production. One of my responsibilities was to look up different songs to put on, like, the pre-show playlist. I had to specifically look up songs about sex, so I got to listen to a lot of songs about sex, and and Bop was one of them. So this song took me back. It's a fun song, and it's a great masturbation song, not gonna lie. The thing about this album is, like, despite having heard a lot of these songs. I've never actually listened to this entire album. Boy, oh boy. This is her debut album. Boy, she, like, knocked down that door so fucking hard. Like, she she entered the world of the 80s just ready for whatever was coming, and she she killed it. Like, Money Changes Everything, like, that opening part of, of that song slaps. Like, that is such a great song. Also, the song Money Changes Everything, really 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 hits different in such bad ways if we thought that there was financial problems during the 80s oh boy that's nothing compared to what the fuck is happening right now another standout song from this album was when you were mine I didn't know it was a Prince song and I had to actually look up the lyrics because a part of me was just like is this song gay Or is this about loving a man who leaves you for a gay relationship? Either way, it's fun. (laughs) Love either interpretation, or if anybody has a different interpretation of this song, I would love to hear about it because I love the ambiguity of it and I just like it being just a little bit gay. I would say the weakest song on this album is also the shortest one. He's so unusual. It feels very weird because it sounds like it was from an early cartoon. It's so cheeky. It also makes me think that this is the origin story of Cindy Lauper winning a Tony Award for Kinky Boots. Here's the thing about He's So Unusual. It is so fucking quiet that I really had to, like, turn up the volume while listening to it on Spotify. And then immediately the next song is Yeah Yeah, and I got goddamn whiplash listening to those songs back to back. If I thought that He's So Unusual is quiet, Yeah Yeah just, like, fucking took a baseball bat to my head and, and was like, I'm here now, uh. so I had to pause the song and turn the volume down because I was like, oh god! It was a great way of jarring me, and also, yeah, yeah, it's a really great song to end the album on. Overall, like, damn, this is a really great album. I had a really good time with it. However, since Cindy Lauper's She's So Unusual" pops up again in this list, I don't want to put it in spot 494 on my list, because I don't think that's fair to Cindy Lauper, and this album deserves a second listen, and it, I'm really going to enjoy coming back to this album, having had more time to sit with it. I'm going to say that while I love She's So Unusual, and I do think it's the greatest album of all time, it's not going to be going into the spot. So. Between the Ronettes and MGMT, um, I feel so conflicted because both of them bring a lot of different things to the table. Especially with the Ronettes and how influential their sound was to the rest of music. But I do love how different Ocular Spectacular is. I feel like I I hold a lot of nostalgia for it. And, like, I think the songs have also the test of time. Because I feel like if I remember things from the early 2000s, a lot of that stuff really isn't that interesting anymore. But this sound and this album is... I dig it. I vibe with it. It's really... It's a good time. It's a great time. I think I'm going to give it to Ocular Spectacular. I think I had less problems with this album, and I think I, I recognize how great it is. But the thing about the Ronettes is we're in, this isn't going to be the first time, and it's probably not going to be the last time that uh, Phil Spector is going to show up with his music production and his wall of sound. So, you know, I love and respect the Ronettes, and I'm glad that this album exists. Like, go check it out. It's a really good, good time. It is time, once again, to decide the fate of where this album rests on the greatest of all time list. If I had to put Ocular Spectacular on this list... I would say that it is below the indestructible beat of Suero, but above Suicide. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this musical journey as much as I have. I look forward to next week's episode, and DJ, drop that track. Goat or Go is a podcast created and hosted by me, Wendy K. I I also edit the podcast. Original artwork is by Page A. Special thanks to the entire Rolling Stone magazine writing team. Without you, there wouldn't be this podcast. Follow the podcast on social media, Goat or Go Pod. If you want to support the show on Patreon, link is in the show notes. Thank you so much, music lovers. Keep on listening, and I'll see you next week.